welcome everyone back to the Dairy Science Digest. This month, we're headed all the way north to Canada to talk to Dr. Gregory Penner from the University of Saskatchewan. And through producer survey work, he and his colleagues identified a need to test a single ingredient inclusion for automated milking systems, aka robots. And what he wanted to look at was testing pelleted barley versus steam flaked barley on a feed-first guide flow robot system. So, uh, Greg, tell us a little bit about the project that's right now currently in press at the Journal of Dairy Science. Thanks for, for having me today. You know, this, this project really came from a lot of discussion with uh, nutritionists as well as uh, some of the equipment manufacturers questioning whether we need to feed uh, pellet in robotic milking systems. And certainly here in Canada, we see a lot of producers trying to utilize on-farm feeds. Uh, and I think the same would be true in, in the United States. And, you know, one of the things with on-farm uh, produced feeds or even cheaper commodities is they often don't come in a pelletized format. And so we, we thought we would address that using probably the most simplest approach that we could think of, and that's using a single feed in the robot and changing the form of that same feed. So using steam flake barley or using the same steam flake barley as a pelleted source. And so really it was designed to address kind of those questions that we're hearing from industry. Can you get away without a pellet? And I noticed the inclusion rate, talk a little bit about how much were they getting when they were going through the robot? Yeah, so our inclusion rates are uh, probably atypical. We feed quite a small quantity, usually somewhere between two and three kilos. In this study, we were looking at two kilos. Pause for just a minute. Two kilos. Let's let's rewind. That's four point four, four and a half pounds, right? Yeah, yeah four plus pounds. Yeah, thanks. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. So with our cows that are going uh, three times a day, or roughly three times a day, I think it was about two point nine visits per day in that study. It's just a little better than a pound and a quarter uh, a visit or a pound and a third uh, a visit. So really not that much uh, at each visit, but with a guided flow barn, we're still able to uh, achieve a, a good frequency of voluntary visits. The idea with the low inclusion rate uh, was that if you have less being offered, maybe the form of the feed doesn't matter so much. So is barley a common ingredient for your dairy herds up there? Yeah, so in, in Western Canada, where I'm located, basically just north of Montana and, and North Dakota, uh, we see a lot of barley grain use in our dairy diets. It would be our primary cereal grain being used. It would not be a very common sole ingredient as a robot pellet. So this study is, is a little bit atypical because we're using a single ingredient in the pellet. Most of the pellets we see have a composition that would be similar to the TMR or PMR in this case. So somewhere around that 30 to 33% starch, you know, mm -hmm. somewhere 16 to 18% crude protein uh, and fiber levels that would also represent the, the milking herd. Did the barley make a nice firm pellet? Yeah, barley does pellet quite nicely. So we did measure uh, PDIs. So these are pellet durability indexes and we have PDIs that are well above 96%. Uh, so this would tell us that pellet, even once it's produced, uh, is not likely to break up with, with mechanical handling. Awesome. 
Okay. And so logistically, you had a group of animals that were assigned these different feeds, but then you also looked at the, the PMR and the frequency and, and behavior around how they ate that partial mixed ration. Could you talk a little bit about how this project was set up? Yeah. So there's a couple things that I think gets overemphasized in robotic milking herds. And we spend a lot of time talking about pellet formulation and how much pellet should be delivered in the AMS. And we forget sometimes that 85, maybe even 90% of the, the dry matter that those cows consumed is actually consumed at the bunk and not in the robot. And so we wanted to capture that. So we have uh, specialized feed bunks that we can assign an individual cow to, and they record the RFID tag. And if the right cow goes in the right place, a barrier drops, and then that cow can gain access to the PMR. So this allows us to know how often those cows are visiting the PMR bunks, how big the meals are, uh, and allows us to evaluate sorting. So we had a subset of cows that were on those bunks. We certainly can't feed all of our cows with those bunks. And the rest of the cows were actually in our main group, uh, main robot group. And so we were trying to not only test nutritional strategies, but make sure we're doing this under a robot that is near full occupancy. So that, you know, if there is a different desire for cows to visit the robot, it's not like the robot has an abundance of free time and can be accommodated. Right. Um, and I see you got, you got real good intakes on overall PMR intakes and the diet was similar when you compared the pellet versus the steam flake and the processing of the barley availability in the rumen should all be very similar. And so tell us a little bit about what you found, what, what happened? Yeah, so what, you know, we didn't expect to see very big milk response uh, differences, and certainly we didn't see any difference in terms of milk yield. Um, but what we did see is indications, at least this is our interpretation, indications that cows chose to visit the robot differently. And so interestingly, those cows that were fed the pelleted barley had less time in the holding area. So we're a guided flow traffic, so cows have to go into the robot through a holding area. Sometimes it's also known as a commitment pen. And then to get into the robot, they have to leave that commitment pen. And so cows in our study uh, that were fed the steam flake barley actually spent more time in that holding area. So it told us they had less willingness to enter the robot. They had greater time between consecutive milking events. And that's probably not surprising given the greater holding area time and they had a reduction in, in milking frequency. And so this is really telling us, even in a guided flow barn where we think gates are helping minimize fetch cows and helping ensure um, frequent uh, milking visits, that the form of the feed provided in the robot, even with a very low quantity provided, has an impact on stimulating cows to visit. Yeah, it's um, really interesting to think about the time that she spent standing there in the in the holding pen or the commitment pen could have been time eating or sleeping or resting and off her feet. It made me wonder, uh, I know your observation windows were 21, 28 days, uh, so short observation windows. Do you think if, 
if this was something that the producers were to implement at home on a longer period of time, do you think that the time difference standing there could negatively impact hoof health or productivity long-term? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not so sure there, partly because of our facility design. Uh, so our cows aren't standing on concrete per se when they're the holding area. We do have rubber matting uh, on the floor and that presents different challenges and opportunities, but we don't see as much lameness issues as we would expect uh, given industry. And when we do have lying behavior, unfortunately, we didn't have it in this study, uh, but our cattle typically lie down somewhere around 12 hours a day. So very respectable uh, lying times. What I think we would anticipate is a, a bigger reduction or at least a reduction in milk yield and probably driven by the change in milking frequency, uh, especially if we would have recruited more early lactation cows, uh, the carryover effects into mid and late lactation should be quite pronounced. I wonder at some point in this, in this very challenging dairy market, I wonder if we sacrifice a pound or two relative and save the feed cost. I don't know where, where that, where that balance is. Did you guys do an economic analysis on, on that potential? That was something that was underlying. I, I would say again, because we have very artificial conditions uh, in this experiment, it was difficult to do what I would call a realistic cost analysis. Uh, but I think it gives us the tools to at least start there. So if now we can start modeling the magnitude of reduction we would expect in milking frequency. And if we give up that magnitude of milking frequency, we probably have to also assume, assume a reduction in, in milk yield, at least in the long term. And then based on that, we can compare the loss in visits and assumed milk yield relative to the cost savings in feed. Now, in this study, the cost savings in feed were, were very small because steam flaking and pelleting they, there is a cost differential, but it's pretty small. And then as, as I've already noted, there was no difference in milk yield. So the revenue our producers would have seen was equivalent uh, and the cost would have been higher for pelleting. So all we would have shown, if anything, is a potential reduction in net revenue associated with pelleting. But I think that's probably not the realistic case that we're seeing in industry, unless that cost savings on feed is quite marked. Yes. And I guess I was kind of chasing the, the rabbit of if you were to utilize your on-farm feed source versus if you were going to go off farm and kind of comparing and contrasting those, those two systems. And if there was some cost savings available there. Yeah. Uh, I think the challenge is we're not comparing apples to apples, right? Every right. You know, a single feed will require other changes. And so it does require fairly complex modeling. I think working with the nutritionist to validate whether the cost savings in ingredients uh, will justify a potential reduction in milk yield. Absolutely. Awesome. I, I think one of the exciting things, if, if I can just interject, though, is this is really the first time where we've been able to show uh, that the physical form has a pretty big impact. And so, you know, for our producers that are really interested in using on-farm feeds, it doesn't certainly preclude them from doing that. 
but it gives them something to think about that there might be consequences. And, you know, we showed very high milking frequencies with both treatments. So it's not that we were leading to unacceptable values. And that makes it even more difficult for producers utilizing on-farm feeds to uh, maybe evaluate that lost opportunity that's uh, imposed as they shift from a pellet to a non-pelletized feed in the robot. Sure, because you were seeing as far as trips on the pelleted, it's 2.9 and uh, steam flaked was 2.7. I think those are are very respectable. And at I, I thought I found it very interesting that the the PMR intake differences, meal meal number, um, duration, eating time, and size were all not significant. And so I I think that's interesting. And you go back to rewinding a little bit, you were saying 85 to 90 percent of the dry matter is in the PMR. And so if we just focus on the fact that they're they're getting most of their nutrition there. And this is a more of a utilitarian feed stuff that goes through the, the robot. It gives a lot of opportunity there. Um, I, I think it's awesome, really awesome to be able to use on-farm grain sources. Um, is, there, is there a chance, do you think that we could do this? Down here, we have corn and soy primarily. Could we do this here too? Yeah, we're seeing a, a fair bit of corn gluten meal in particular going into robots, not so much in Western Canada, but in Eastern Canada for sure. Uh, I think the real question we need to ask is, is there a sufficient cost savings to warrant it? Not, I don't know if there is. We haven't run those numbers. I, I get worried a little bit based on the reduction in milking frequency. And remember, this was a guided flow barn. And so our selection gates were doing us a favor by directing cows into that, that holding area. I would anticipate, although I, it's never been tested, I would anticipate that we would see a very similar response in a free flow barn, where rather than just having reduced visits, we might have more fetch cows. Sure. And so that's another place where it could start impacting economics and labor efficiency in robotic systems, uh, particularly in those freestall barns. I saw that you guys fetched uh, three times a day, but I, I didn't catch the values. Did you see a treatment effect difference on fetch? No treatment effect and our fetching values are less than 1% per day. So it's a very low fetch rate uh, in our facility. And that that's pretty typical for, for what we see. So the cows that go are, our voluntary visits. Again, we have that that selection system. So they do go into the holding area. And, you know, probably what we need to think about doing is maybe changing our fetching rules to include time in the holding pen. Uh, so those cows do spend a fair bit of time in that area, which is uh, not very hospitable, right? No water, no feed, no bed. Uh, those cows are just sitting there idle and it's potentially taking away from other activities that could be more beneficial for those cows. Well, um, Dr. Pinner, I, this has been very informative. You have the active attention of dairy producers across the nation. What would you want boots on the ground dairy producers that, that operate robotic milking systems to know about your project? Yeah, in this case, I, I think what we're doing is probably confirming what the feed industry is telling us is that pellets and pellet quality matter. And 
So how do I apply this? Well, we spend a lot of time calibrating our robot, making sure the amount that actually is dispensed is what we think is being dispensed. Uh, we verify that the pellet, even if we expect a high pellet durability index or a PDI, we verify that that pellet is not breaking up in the robot manger. Uh, so all important parts, it's not the whole part of the robotic milking system that will lead to success, but it's an important component that can affect voluntary visits. This has been the October edition of the Dairy Science Digest, which is a monthly podcast project designed to bring the Journal of Dairy Science straight to your ears. And Dr. Penner, I really appreciate your time today because we highlight your peer-reviewed research articles that are actively impressed. It's sound science to base your management decisions on provided by your University of Missouri Dairy Team. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe to get future editions straight to your cell phone. This has been Reagan Bluell with the Dairy Science Digest, and I hope you have a great day. <music>